We'll be continuing on by looking at uh, a different block this morning, uh, and this one has to do uh, much more with acceptance. Uh, and again, as I get into this, we're going to pray before we get started. Uh, a lot of this is uh, drawn from or inspired by the book, The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. Um, highly recommend if you'd like to dive more into these things. It's much more detailed within that, uh, but he's done an excellent job. Uh, and, and a lot of this is drawn from that. So uh, let's pray uh, as we get into it here this morning. Uh, Father, we come into you uh, looking at your holy word and how you've designed us, how you've created us, how you've redeemed us, uh, how you've given us an identity, how it's anchored in you. Uh, Lord, this is something that each one of us struggles with at times in our lives. Um, by passively leaning on other things or intentionally leaning on other things uh, aside from you. Uh, Lord, as we come to this, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from any sense of shame or condemnation, uh, that we would recognize that there is uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, that we would look to see your Holy Spirit reveal the areas within our own lives that need work or things that we recognize uh, within this that we need to anchor more firmly within you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, would be with me as I speak, um, and that you would guide us as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, um, again, uh, last week was about success. In other words, how good am I doing? And it was kind of that, that self-valuation of, I think I'm doing a great job, or I think I'm doing a terrible job, or I have to do a good job in order for people to like me. And, and it all came down to kind of almost this internal drive uh, of a fear of failure, and that either resulting in a pursuit of perfection and trying to get everything right and feeling compelled to do everything um, to the best, uh, or it results in a, a sense of almost paralysis or a feel of failure causes you not to step out into doing things because you're worried about uh, not succeeding in that. And, and then there's a whole bunch of different ways that that then plays out into our spirituality and identities. Uh, and if you're interested in that, uh, again, that's either in the book or you can take a look at last week. Now this week, though, uh, is much more uh, about what others think about us. Uh, and we struggle with acceptance. And so uh, it has more to do with um, do they like me? Do, do they enjoy me? Do they respect me? Uh, do they love me? Um, do they hate me? Do they not like me? Right? And it's not just even whether or not somebody else has that opinion of us, but a lot of times this can be into, uh, I think they don't like me. I think that they hate me. And it doesn't even have to be anchored in fact, right? It's, it, we can have these relationships with people uh, where it, they can come right out and be like, I, yeah, I don't like you. I think you're a jerk. And, and that kind of hurts, right? We, we don't like people saying that to us. We, we don't like finding out that, you know, they find us offensive or whatever. We just don't like that. But far more often, I think, we struggle more with the sense of somebody doesn't, like, explicitly say that to us. But it's more the thoughts that run through our mind of, wow, like, they responded this way. Like, like they cut me off. Maybe they don't, don't respect me. Or, or they didn't call me back, right? Or here's one that, th this is a generational thing, and we were just having this conversation this week. And this is where I stand, just so you know. If you text me 
I am not obligated to respond to that text. I'm just, just saying, like, if you want to talk to me, call me. I'll pick up the phone. We can talk, right? But, but, but a text is kind of like a little note that you pass, and I may or may not respond to that note. And if I really want to respond, I might give you a call. But, but anyway, it's like, like I, I'm astounded sometimes at how much tension can be over whether or not or how long somebody took to respond to a text. And, and, and the different communication, right? So, so if, like, you send it, is there etiquette for, for other people that may, and I, I understand, like, this is a generational thing for me with texts. And I know that there's, like, a whole new dynamic. Is there, like, a, a rule of thumb for how long you're supposed to wait for sending a text or responding to one? Anybody? Is, is two days too long? Oh, okay, so your mom wants you, like, within the hour, Right? Other people are dead. What is your mom's response, if you don't mind sharing, like if you don't respond? She usually calls you. Okay. Right. Yeah. Try and get back with an, you should have an automated response, like, I'll text you back. <laughs> I'm busy. I'll text you back. I just automatically go back there every time. So, yeah. Yes! I turn that off every time, right? <laughs> because if, if you send me a text and I may or may not respond to it, I don't necessarily want you to know that I've seen your text because, right? But, but it starts, like, that's where this kind of starts, right? Because if you send somebody a text and they don't necessarily respond within the time frame that you're hoping to respond, then all of these thoughts can start going into your mind of, are they okay? Has something happened? Or, did I say something wrong? Or, or maybe, are they upset with me that they're not responding? Like, like all of these different things. And so I, I just wanted to kind of bring up that dynamic to kind of, uh, it, it's silly a little bit when it comes to texting, yet real offense can happen when it comes to texting. Uh, but I wanted to get into that because... Um, it's really clear when somebody explicitly says to us, I don't like you, right? But more often is this troubling dynamic within our own mind where we're wrestling with things and we're wondering things and we're guessing things. And if I send another text, is that being too pushy? And, and, and like this whole thing back and forth that, that comes more out of ourselves, but still, again, is all based on what are other people thinking about me? How are they responding to me? What is this dynamic within the relationship that it might be? And it could be coworkers, it could be family, it could be parents, it could be brothers and sisters within a church, real brothers and sisters, um, anything like that. And uh, all of these things, these questions that, that are tempted to come into our mind if we allow our thoughts to kind of follow down those paths are, again, do they like me? Do they respect me? Do they love me? Like, like, what are their thoughts towards me? And if we base our identity on what other people think about us, uh, we begin to crave approval, right? So it's natural, right, to want to be liked by other people, to have positive interactions, to have positive relationships. But, but if we stake our sense of well-being, if we stake how we feel about ourselves, whether or not we feel good or that we're successful as a husband or a wife or a friend 
or a coworker, if we stake all of that based on how other people think about us, uh, what that then naturally results in is I want them to like me. And because I want them to like me, I, I crave hearing that they like me, and so therefore I want to do things so that they like me. And it, it's like this slippery slope that you can begin to slide down to and eventually fall into a, a type of slavery to other people's opinions. This slavery results in a constant pursuit in order to earn approval from other people. This is where you find uh, the personalities where people become uh, very uh, people pleasers, right? And, and so they want to do everything they can to make other people happy, uh, even to the pursuit or, or even neglect uh, of themselves or their own families. This is where they find it hard to say no to things. Somebody's like, oh, hey, I'm moving. Well, you know, it's my son's birthday, but yeah, I'll be there, <laughs> right? Like, like there's these things that people will do if they're craving this sense of approval, that they will do things to, to try and earn this. Um, not having boundaries or able to say no to request uh, help or, or spending time together. Uh, this is where peer pressure fits in, right? Where, or if you have friends around you that are all like, oh, like we're all going to do this, you should do this too. And uh, no, I don't want to. And like the whole jump off a bridge type thing, right? Peer pressure. Um, this, is, this has happened to me with hiking trips. And, and so in some senses, it can be positive, right? But, it, but again, if we're only doing it all the time to please others, instead of recognizing it as a positive thing for ourselves, um, we're doing it for the wrong motives uh, within those things. This peer pressure, um, we kind of have that typical, like, you know, jumping off a bridge aspect. Would you, if your friends are doing it, would you do it? We talk to our kids about that. Uh, but this peer pressure also happens within our lives as adults, too, Right? Anybody think of an example where peer pressure might come into our lives as an adult? What was that? When other people, like in a workplace, if everybody's like, oh, this person, we don't like them, it's kind of easy to fall into that, that group, right? Yeah, because if you disagree with them, then the fear is like now the pack's on you too. Yeah, absolutely. The peer pressure to, to be able to, to push people into certain social circles uh, within jobs. Absolutely. Any other ideas on how peer pressure can come into our lives as, and I'm saying adults, and we do have some, some younger ones within the room, but I, I think peer pressure when it comes to teens and people in school, like, that's really easy to be like, oh, peer pressure for this, peer for, you know, drugs and drinking and sex and, and those things, like, peer pressure, but, but, I don't know. I, I kind of realized, like, what peer pressure do I have? And I'm, I had to think through it. Sure. Yeah, so the way that we dress, the way that we act, our, our houses, our cars, are we fitting in with the neighbors? Um, yeah, it's, when, I, when you see a neighbor, like, working on their house and, like, painting their house, how easy is it to kind of look at your own and be like, eh, I wonder if I need to do some touch-up as well. So, yeah, good point. Oh. Sure. Yeah, so bending or breaking rules that are kind of established at jobs and whatnot because other people are doing it. Yeah, and within Scripture, too, right? Yeah. 
Um, this peer pressure, what about TV shows? Right? Like you got a popular TV show that's out there and, and people are like watching it and they're like, oh, this is a great show. Like, have you seen it? And you're kind of like, no, like I don't know if I necessarily, but it's, it's a good show. Like, right? Like there is that kind of peer pressure. Like it can sneak in in ways that we don't necessarily realize it. But, but there's like this draw not just to watch the television show, right? Because the, the whole concept is of if you haven't watched the show yet, even though it's a popular show, there's a reason that you haven't watched whatever television show, whatever movie, whatever book. There, there's a reason you haven't done it. And yet, when it becomes popular, or, or you have friends that are watching it, or reading it, or saying that maybe you should, like, there's like a draw now to read it, or watch it, or do it, right? Like, am I the only one that, that feels that sometimes? What you got, John? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she signed you up for TV Guide because she knows you don't have cable. <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's like all these different ways that, that it's there um, and we navigate through life. And, and it can influence our decisions sometimes in ways that we don't even recognize. Or sometimes we see it, we're just kind of like, come on, like, I'm not going to have cable, uh, kind of thing. But again, to recognize um, this way that this can lead to temptation in our relationship with God is, is that, like, there's things that we know from the Word of God, we, we know from conviction of the Holy Spirit, that, that we're supposed to avoid because this is what God has directed our identity to be, the way it's supposed to be anchored, the way that we're supposed to live. This is sin. This is not sin. Like, it's very clear within Scripture. And, and if we can recognize even the, the, the silliness of peer pressure when it comes to things like cable or candy... And, and how yet it has an effect on us. I, I think we would be foolish to say that there's times when peer pressure doesn't affect us when it comes to sin. Or when it comes to playing around with sin. You know, whether that's um, substances or television shows and lust. And, and when I say television shows, that's what I really mean. Is, is the sins that it causes us to commit by watching those. Right? So if a television show is, is glorifying lustful things, then the pressure to, to watch that is then pressure to engage in tempting ourselves with, with lust uh, or whatever else it might be. Um, and so I'm not trying to lambaste TV at all, uh, but kind of the way that this can slide into our lives and, and bow us to get into to peer pressure. Um, it could be pressure from uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance uh, for sex and, and just that desire to, to please them or to make them happy or wanting to feel loved by them. Um, these things can, can come in and, and really cause us, uh, our lives and our choices, uh, to be directed or driven, um, not necessarily by our own convictions or our own identity, but by other people's opinion or by our perception 
of their opinion, what we think that they're thinking about us. And, and that can get into this whole other spiral thing. Um, but it plays out in so many different ways. And, and I think that probably one of the most insidious ones is, is that worrying about what others might think. And, and in that, you're always looking to anticipate reprove, approval or rejection. And, and that is, I don't know. To me, that is one of the things that can disrupt our life more than any other. Well, like, even as I'm saying this right now, there's like these thoughts in my head of like, what are they thinking about what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Or, or when I brought up about TV shows, was that just like a ridiculous thing to them? Like, like this thought comes in, and if I allow it to, I can like go down this rabbit hole, and, it, and it's going to cause me to freeze up here and be like, okay, well, let me move on to the next point, or, or whatever it is. But um, I, I've seen aspects of, like, and even within my own brain, there's like a, a tendency at times of uh, to, to kind of go down this path. Like if I invite the Crawfords over to my house, like, like right now, if you're coming over to my house for lunch, right? And I say that in front of everybody else or people find out that they're coming to my house for lunch, then like, well, you know, how's Tom going to feel? Right? Yeah, what about Tom? You know, and Tom didn't necessarily say anything, but in my mind, like, but now I have to invite Tom. And, and if I invite Tom, then his son Jesse's going to find. So I got to invite Jesse to be able to come. And, and then his friend Jesse's going to find out. And, and so now I got to invite. Like, like, how many times like, might that slip into our life where we're starting to make all of these choices because, well, now that I did this, I remember this being a, like a kid. Like, like if you were invited, with my parents at least, and maybe this is where it came from within my own life. Like, if I was invited to somebody's house, for like a sleepover or to go play or, or whatever as a kid, like that mandated like a return invite, right? Like, like you invited me over, now I have to invite you over. And then because I'm being friends with this person, but there's this other boy my age, I, like I had a friend that, that him and I didn't really get along and we didn't necessarily like each other. But because of this whole dynamic, our parents kept making us get together. Right? Like, like, oh, well, you're hanging out with this other guy your age, so you should hang out with him as well. And, and so, like, it just does that. But when it comes to even choices within our life of, of how do I follow God? What does God want me to do? Should, should I choose this job or should I choose this job? And, and if it's based on the approval of others or what other people might think, it, it can then get into, well, if, if I have this car... Uh, and I show up to the job interview with this kind of car, then they're going to think this, and I'm going to have more success at being able to, like, get this job. Or if I dress a certain way, right? And, and if I get this company over here, then uh, we can just start going down a spider web of all of these different things. And the next thing you know, we could have a whole plan for our life based on what ifs, and we've never even taken the first step. All based on what if and how somebody else might respond. And, and so all of this then leads into this sense of pursuit to earn approval and, and a sense of slavery in what other people think about us. And, and this always um, 
results in this danger then of, of wanting to earn approval, needing to have approval in order to feel good about ourselves, that this danger then comes if anybody gives us an unkind word, what happens? This house of cards collapses. It could be a, a lack of appreciation. You know, we do something for somebody else and they don't say thank you. So then they don't appreciate us. And, and if it's based on what they think about us, if they're not thankful for what I've done, this is where this, this searching, this wanting approval to feel good about ourselves can start to collapse things. Maybe it's a, a lack of respect or, or any other number of things that destable our sense of self-worth. And because our self-worth is then uh, instable, it feels like rejection. And so the reality is, is that the pursuit of approval in order to feel good about ourselves, in order to have a, a solid identity based on the approval of others, it always results in a fear of rejection. So the pursuit of approval always results in a fear of rejection. And this rejection is simply any communication that tells us um, or tells someone that they're not satisfactory, that, that you don't live up to a particular standard. You show up to the job interview and you're not wearing the right clothes, you don't get the job, the communication is you're not the caliber of person that we want working at this job, right? Or what if, what if you sit there and, and like your parents are coming and, and you spend like the whole day like cleaning your house and, and you know, your mother-in-law or whoever comes in and they're like, oh, I can't believe how dusty this is. Right? And so you're like looking for that approval and, and just those words can send this sense of, of rejection uh, from them that you don't measure up to their standard. Uh, it also can be communicated by this uh, feeling or sense of they'd rather not be around. You're like, I'd rather not be close to you. I'd rather not spend time with you. Um, or that you're a problem. Like, oh, I've always got to deal with whatever mess that you have. And maybe they're not saying that, but the way that it's communicated, um, it's not always done verbally, but it can be uh, anger in a moment. Anger can be used uh, or taken as rejection. A disgusting or, or dismissing look, a uh, lack of appreciation, lack of communication, uh, body language, or, or even just neglect or not addressing something can all be taken as rejection by people that are anchored or will take it as rejection ourselves if our identity is anchored in other people's approval because we want that approval we crave that approval and and if their response to us is like whatever like like right there it's just rejection and we're not getting what we're craving what we feel like we need to, to feel good about ourselves this fear of rejection um, can lead to constantly being worried about what other people think uh, which then also can come into isolation. And so if uh, we're afraid of being rejected by people, it, it's easy to then pull back, right? And we can pull back in a number of different ways. We can just avoid them. Like, like if, I don't, if I'm not by them, like, then they can't reject me. We can't have conflict, right? Or perhaps it results in um, this aspect of really shallow relationships. I think this is where it most commonly plays out is that we have like a bunch of relationships with people and, and be, with those bunch of relationships, we never really go very deep. Uh, and so we kind of keep it on topical. We keep it on common likes and common interests. Like, yeah, Packers. And I'm rejecting other people that don't like the Packers here in the room, by the way. Um, I'm kidding. 
Anyways, like, like this is where we're drawn to people of similar interests. Because we're drawn to them because it's easier to have a shallower relationship with them. And that shallow relationship means that they're not going to see everything about us to know who we truly are. And, and therefore, there's going to be less opportunity for them to reject us. Now, we're kind of talking like, um, kind of in this, this general sense. But all of this impacts us within the church. Right? Christ died on the cross in order to redeem us as his sons and daughters. We talked about that last week. The whole topic was justification. And, and that, that fear of not succeeding is, is erased by Jesus' success on the cross. So we're adopted into his family. Then within his family, he, he calls us his sons, he calls us his daughters, which then makes us what within this room if we're saved by Christ? Brothers and sisters, right? Anchored in Jesus. The, the thing that binds us together as Christians is stronger than any DNA from two parents. As far as brothers and sisters go. Like we're anchored for all of eternity in the perfectness of Jesus Christ. He calls us then to be a family. He calls us to, to be a body. He calls us to be a church. In Ephesians chapter 4, it, it talks about the, the church being knit together so that it grows up into full maturity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that we're, we're all given a gift for the common good. Like, like each part has its necessary place. This aspect demands intimacy. This aspect demands closeness. Closer than we should have with people that are blood relatives. And, and so we're church brought together, purchased by the blood of Christ. And it is this fear of rejection that keeps us from being the full mature church. And, and I'm talking about church in general. And us here as well. It is a fear of rejection that keeps us from being the full church. Because when we're struggling with something, we often feel isolated. And it's hard, and it's difficult to go through it alone. What Scripture tells us, we're not supposed to go through it alone. That we have others to come alongside us, to pray for us. James says, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. The problem is, is that a fear of rejection, because we worry about what other people think, prevents us from confessing. It prevents us from knowing each other deeply. It prevents us from asking for help. Because any one of us ha has the opportunity to be able to, to go to somebody else within this church, according to Scripture, the, the way that Christ died for it to be, he died so that we would have the freedom and the grace and the mercy to be able to go up to our brothers and sisters and say, I'm struggling with something. I need help. To be able to say, I have this sin in my life. I have this temptation in my life. And it's just really difficult for me to overcome it. I need help with this. Or, or even going and saying, you know what? My marriage is having difficulty right now. My wife and I just seem to be at odds. And, and we need prayer. And we, it really seems like Satan, our enemy, is really coming against us. And, and we need prayer. 
Like Jesus died so we could do that with full confidence that our brothers or sisters, their response is going to be, all right, let's pray. Like, like let's fight. Let's put on the full armor of God. Right? And, and yet, what has happened is this worry about what other people are thinking um, and rejection has wormed its way into the church from, from how many different ways, uh, and all of it's really based on identity. Is anybody, and I'm not asking anybody to share what it is, but is anybody at any point, it doesn't even have to be a current thing, might be something that happened a year ago or 20 years ago, has anybody in this room had a fear of sharing something and worrying about how other Christians might take it? Like nearly every hand in this room is up. Uh, just this week, I was hearing stories of, of people that um, had been divorced and, and weren't allowed to be in Bible studies because they were divorced. Right? That's based on identity, and that's based on what other people think. That's at the very root of it, right? This, this whole judgmental thing that's happening is, is like, here's this person that has done something, and, and the one that's being judgmental puts the other one down because then they feel better about where they're at. It's the whole parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Where the Pharisee's sitting there and the tax collector's like sitting there on his knees and he's praying and he's repenting and, and, and the, tax, or the Pharisee's sitting there like, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this person. And all of that was based on, okay, what do other people think? I'm a Pharisee. People like the way that I am. They think well of me. They think poorly of this tax collector. I think poorly of this tax collector. I'm glad that I'm not like this tax collector. All along, the tax collector is sitting there and saying, Lord, forgive me for the things that I'm doing wrong. And the Pharisee over here, because he's in this aspect of judging others, is sitting there and saying, I'm glad that I'm not doing what he's doing wrong. Now, in that parable, Jesus points to which one is actually going to be his prayers are received. And it's the tax collector. Right? This, all of this happens, and it's wormed its way into the church and, and has resulted in a fear of rejection. A fear of rejection by other people. And, and that's because there's a part of us that as we look at Scripture and we see the way that God has designed the church to be, the way that we're meant to be vulnerable, the way that we're meant to support one another, the way that we're supposed to pray and bring one another to Jesus in this beautiful, bruised at times, but healing work of the church. Like This is what Jesus died for it to be. And because we're worried about what other people will think and how they might reject us, we never walk into the fullness of that. And so I think it reveals, like, there are aspects of each of our lives where we do worry about what other people think. If we need help in a particular area of our life and we don't go for help, even though we need that help, 
it could be revealing. Like you're more worried about what other people think than what actually is the healthy and scriptural thing for you to do within a given situation. And, and so it worms its way in, and it's kind of easy to look at um, extremes of how this is played out, where people are being pleasy, uh, people pleasers, they don't know when to say no, or, or you're peer pressured into doing this sin, or, you know, like all those things. It's really easy to kind of like look out and say, well, I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that. But when it comes down to the way that we're supposed to live as a church, I think that this shallowness has, has crept in because of a fear over these types of things. And, and again, that fear is valid. I'm not saying that that fear is wrong because we've been hurt in our past. Well, the person that was told that they can't go to a Bible study because they were divorced, that hurts. That, that truly hurts, and it should not have happened at all. Like, that never should have been their experience. It breaks my heart that that was their experience within a church. But, but, but that hurts, and so because it hurts, and that pain is real because it is a form of spiritual abuse, that, that fear of pain coming again can still kind of be there and still kind of influence. And... What I'm saying is the result or the way to fix this is that on both sides of the fence, um, we have to not worry about what other people think. We have to hold to what Scripture says. And, and so if somebody comes to us and, and they have the humility and the strength and the confidence in Christ to say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm ashamed of. This is what I feel the Lord's telling me I need to work on my life. I need help. The temptation from hearing that from somebody else would be, what are we going to think of them? That's what they're afraid of, what we're going to think, right? So in that moment, it comes down to what should our response be and it can't be based on our own self-worth. Because if it's based on our own self-worth, then we're like, man, I'm so glad I'm not messed up like that. And, and if that's our response, then it's really easy to fall into a response that will hurt the other person. I love the parable um, or the lesson that Jesus teaches where he's like, uh, how can you go to your brother who has a speck in his eye unless you remove the log within your own eye? And, and a lot of people will take a look at that passage and say, well, you can't judge that. It, that. That's not what it's saying at all. It's not saying you shouldn't judge somebody else because you have your own issues. Well, what it's saying is acknowledge what you have in your own eye. And, and so the attitude within the church ought to be this sense of, I need Jesus to work in areas of my life where I'm hurt and I'm broken and I'm struggling. And not only do I need Jesus, but I need everything that he has provided for me to find healing, restoration, growth, and strength. What that means is I need the church. And I need other people, brothers and sisters, to come around me. If I can come into that place of humility and saying, I can't do this within my own strength. I've got all this junk that I need to work on within my own life. And here's this other person coming to me. If I'm in the place of acknowledging that, 
then all I'm doing is inviting that person to go on the journey with me towards Jesus. I need him too. Let's work on what we both need to work on together. Versus this aspect of rejection. Now this is a huge segue from, from the point of this message here. Um, but I think it's important because up until this segue happened, and it wasn't in my notes at all, I didn't realize how much worrying about what other people think actually impacts the way we're supposed to be as a church. I just, as I'm going through this, I'm like, okay, like, this isolation. This guy, he's he's writing the book. Uh, He's writing the book, and he went to a conference. And at this conference, it said... um, 72% 72% of the Christians that were going to this conference felt isolated. Felt alone. And, and again, it's not because they're not part of a church. It's not because they don't have a relationship or a husband and wife or, you know, blood family or, or whatever. But they feel isolated because I'm not fully known. I'm worried about what people will say if they know about this part of my life or this part of my life, or or this sin that I'm struggling with. I wonder what people will think about our family if if they know that, yeah, my wife and I, we show up here, but at home it's like, ah! And, And that is just like, then you start hiding aspects of yourself instead of getting help in those areas. You start hiding aspects of yourself, and it comes into this fear of being known about those aspects, which then causes everybody just to pull back a little bit and then all we have is this, this shallow relationship that we engage with one another, that we lit a little bit behind a show. And we never really deal with the stuff that is actually really hurting us inside. And, and so this fear of what other people think, I think, is one of Satan's greatest tools in order to impact the church uh, and to cause us from, from living within the full power of what it means to be a church. Uh, And so I think it's something that we need to really look at and examine within our own lives because maybe there's some of the the typical uh, aspects of being worried about what other people think or um, whatever that might be. But I think within a church and within our own lives, um, we can find it for sure uh, in those different ways. Uh, Those things come and play out um, in... Being sensitive to criticism, becoming defensive, uh, anger, hostility, resentment over how other people perceive us or how we think that they perceive us. Uh, it can really start impacting um, even almost uh, a worry about our own emotions in, in a result that um, almost becomes numbing. And, and it's this t- um, term I've never heard before, um, but it's called hyposensitivity. And... Uh, what it is is almost like it feels like you are an actor within your own life or you're on autopilot. And, and some people struggle with that. And so there's just wanted to list off the different ways uh, just from the root of wondering what other people think or having our approval based on what others think can then play out into our lives or play out into a church. Uh, the bottom line of all of this is it leads to bondage and slavery. And, and it leads to hobbling the church as we've discussed uh, and the answer to this 
uh, is reconciliation. Uh, what God has done with us through the cross. Where he's reconciled to us. Last week we talked about justification. That's, that our standing before him. That's not based on our successes or our failures. But simply what Jesus has done. Jesus accomplished the work at the cross. And, and God in his perfect wisdom and judgment and grace and mercy then said. What Jesus has accomplished I now give to you. You no longer have to worry about success or failure. And, and approval when it comes to God. What he's doing here within the doctrine of reconciliation is this sense of regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of what has happened within your past, regardless of what you're struggling with currently, regardless of what's hidden deep down within yourself and your identity, regardless of all of those things, Jesus at the cross and you coming to the point of salvation, you are now reconciled to God. You are now restored into the fullness of relationship that Adam and Eve had within the Garden of Eden before they fell. And I think that's a hard thing for us to necessarily grasp, but this is again is what God has declared within Scripture. That, that there was this intimate relationship between him and mankind and Adam and Eve before they sinned that, that was completely amazing. Nothing between them. And then they fell and there was this separation for thousands of years until Jesus' work at the cross that purchased this reconciliation and this restoration of relationship of man to God. And what he tells us is we now have that relationship back and even more so as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Adam and Eve didn't have that. But we've been given that. This restoration, again, um, is, is nothing short of a full acceptance and embracing by God. Salvation is not just about getting a ticket to heaven. It's about this whole new relationship with Jesus that transcends all things. Uh, the scriptures that we have in this is in Colossians chapter 1 uh, in verse 9. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, uh, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you, uh, and other translations, the ESV will say, who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So again, the answer to this, the answer to being worried about what other people think is, this is what God thinks of me. God says, God has qualified me to share in the saints' inheritance. God has qualified me to be his son or to be his daughter. God who knows all things. We have shallow relationships here on earth and within the church because we're worried about what other people might think. And so it kind of reduces that. But here we have a God that knows everything that we think, everything that we've done. And he says, I just cherish you and I want to spend time with you. I accept you. If that's the case, if, if we are accepted by God, who knows all things better than we know ourselves, if we're accepted by him, what does it matter 
if our boss accepts us? What does it matter if I accept myself or not? In the light of the truth that God accepts me because of what Jesus Christ has done. And he's working on me. Like we can rest in that. Now there's a dynamic of, of being able to, to work with others, but if my I, identity is in God and his acceptance, then, then if I mess it at something, if I make a mistake at something, all it becomes is an opportunity to walk through God and fixing that mistake, learning from it, moving on. If other people reject me because of that, I'm not rejected by Jesus. And guess who my provider is? Him. If I make a big mistake here at the church and I'm fired for it, right? That's going to be a bumpy ride for all of us. <laughs> and I hope that we never have to go through that, right? But even if that happens, if my identity is in Jesus Christ, it will be bumpy, it will be hard, but he is taking care of me. He will continue to grow me, and we will move forward, and you will move forward. Right? Like, that is the truth of this. Like, like regardless of how bumpy life gets, I'm accepted by him. You're accepted by him. He has qualified you to be accepted by him. If you lose your job over a mistake, you're accepted by him and he promises that he is going to provide for you. It's not your paycheck signed by your boss. It's God's provision. The fear of what other people think is wiped away by acknowledging our correct place before God. Colossians 1 puts it this way. Once you were alienated, hostile in your minds, uh, expressed in evil actions, but he has now reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. What Jesus did at the cross, as you stand now before God in salvation, you are holy, faultless, and blameless. Not by anything you did, but by everything he did. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, it talks about, uh, in verse 14, he's erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He's erased it. It is gone. Right? And, and so if you have something that, that you're working on within your life, that you're struggling with, that you need to help with others, it, it is this truth that there is no obligations, there is no debt there is no shame in Christ. I just need help with this. That we can go to other people and say, all right, help me with this. I'm not going to be ashamed by it. I want to work on it. And it's the same attitude that then says when somebody else comes to us saying, man, I feel like this is a mess in my life. I, I need help. I need to work on it. They're coming to us. It's the same thing that says, well, God has taken my own debt, my own obligations, my own shame, everything against me, and nailed it to the cross. It's gone. He's done that for me. He's done that for them. Let's work together. Right? It takes courage to do it, but this is what Jesus died to happen. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed uh, our sins from us. Uh, Romans 4. 
Uh, verse 7, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven um, and whose lawless acts are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. This is even more than accepted. He's saying that we're blessed. This is, again, what he is declaring to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, uh, knowing everything about us, for us to do. It's a hard thing as we wrestle through uh, worry or fear of what other people might think. And we start to wrestle with our own uh, pursuit within our identities for the acceptance of others. It's a hard thing and a scary thing at times to choose to let that go and to live the way that God has called us to live within the church. But it's these truths that we have to stand on, on both sides, both when we're going and asking for help and when people are coming to us and asking for help. It's standing on these truths that will always show grace, that will always show mercy, and always hold the truth. It all has to be done within a, a way of humility that acknowledges we all need to be moving closer and closer towards Jesus Christ. And we get to do this together. God has declared that we're no longer unacceptable, but that we have been made acceptable. This is what God has declared. And this is how we have to treat one another. If I'm accepted in Christ, then I need to accept you in Christ. And if you're accepted in Christ, you need to accept that I'm accepted in Christ. And then we can start to do these things. Again, I think it's a journey. It's not just saying like, okay, once today is done, the homework assignment is to go and confess everything to everybody. Not saying that at all. It's a journey that as we get closer to Christ and we work on this, I think we'll start to see um, some, some beautiful humility and submission to one another that we'll be able to grow in areas that maybe we've struggled with for a very long time. Um, we just at the conference yesterday for the gospel and sexuality that was absolutely phenomenal and had a lot of this in that as well. Um, and, and we're looking to bring uh, maybe some small groups or some study groups or, or things in regards to that. Um, and, and again, as dealing with... Um, a huge part of, of our lives and, and when it comes to sexuality, but it also, uh, which is also one of the things that we, we like to hide the most, we don't like to talk about the most, um, and, and so it's a, a good exercise to kind of step into what this is talking about, um, but it applies to so many other aspects of our life, and so many of it is we're just afraid of being known. And it doesn't have to be stuff about sexuality. It could be other things within our life. Just afraid of being known. Uh, and it's all overcome by what Jesus has done at the cross. Um, gone longer today. I've rambled a bit. I thank you for your grace and patience in that. Uh, a big part of it was that personal revelation for me about how much it has influenced the church. Because we don't go deep. And we do tend to hide things. Um, and, and so that whole long segue um, was kind of me realizing it as I was saying it. And so it took a lot longer than I meant to. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I do have another homework assignment, though. 
Uh, this one's literally from the book uh, that McGee wrote. Uh, and it's an exercise coming out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and it's a, it's a way to pray scripture. Uh, and a lot of times what you do is as you're praying scripture, you can either pray literally what the scripture says, uh, or you can apply it in areas of, of need. Uh, and so this particular exercise is meant for those uh, that struggle with the concept of God accepting you fully, wholly, totally, that he loves you, that he cherishes you, that he dances over you, that he whispers over you, that he sings over you. And in fact, what does it say, Christian? It's exaltation. Uh, do you remember that? You're the one that told me the verse a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, like, like it's not just like holding a baby in the arms, like, you know, rock little baby. But, but like the language within that passage is like God like rejoicing and like dancing and singing and over you. That's what scripture says. And if you struggle with accepting that, with believing it, with feeling it, that's what this exercise is for. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know as the love chapter, we use it at a lot of weddings, uh, but we have this up here. And, and what you're doing is this prayer of acknowledgement of, um, instead of love is patient and kind, who is love? God is love, right? And so we're not distorting, we're not twisting scripture here, we're just acknowledging it in a way that we often struggle with. Because when we read through this passage and we say, well, love is patient, love is kind, um, we go into, well, then I ought to be patient and I ought to be kind to the people that I love. And right there can be like this little distortion of thinking, well, here I do good at that or I don't. But what this is saying is true love, God love, in actuality, God, right? God or my father is patient and kind. My father is not envious. He's never boastful. My father is not arrogant, rude, or self-seeking. My father is not irritable or takes offense. My father keeps no record of my mistakes or sins. My father does not gloat over my sins, but is always glad when truth prevails. My father has no limit to his patience, no end to his trust. My father is always hopeful. He is always there. The passage says he always endures, but he's always there. Take this passage. We'll post this up online as well. But meditate on this this week. Because the answer to being worried about what other people think is not just hardening ourselves and going to a place of, I don't care what other people think. The answer is, this is what my father thinks of me. And that puts everything else in perspective. Father, we come before you. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for this series that we're going through. Uh, and even if this morning's message was, was messy and long-winded and detouring, uh, I thank you for the way that it reveals that there's aspects in our life that we worry about rejection from other people. And what that reveals is that we're worried about rejection from other people, that our identity is actually built on what other people think. And so, Lord, as your Holy Spirit reveals those things to us this week, 
We ask for forgiveness where we've allowed that to creep in. We pray that your Holy Spirit reveals where those areas are in our life. And we ask for the humility to not harden ourselves, but instead to submit ourselves to your declarations of who you are and that you've accepted us, that you present us wholly faultless and blameless that you've erased the certificate of our debt and its obligations and nailed it to the cross, that you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, that you consider us more than accepted, that you consider us to be blessed, that you are the one that have qualified us to be your sons and daughters, that our identity would be anchored on your acceptance, which you've already given that we did not earn and we cannot keep within our own actions, but simply by what you've declared out of love, grace, mercy, and truth. Let us walk in truth, pursuing after you, and think less of this world and more of what you have declared to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.